All right. I'm going to pray. So let's pray together. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for, um, yeah, just this group of people. Thank you for bringing them out here tonight. Thank you for creating them. Um, God, we should be grateful for every breath because I think life is just truly a mystery, a wonderful mystery that is meant to lead us just to your greatness. And so I pray that that happens tonight. I pray that you just, Lord, please help us believe in you more. Please just help us believe in you more. And um, Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Who is the best Marvel superhero? Go ahead. Just let me hear him. Spider-Man? Of course. Captain America? Iron Man? Come on, shout him out. I have not heard the answer yet. Let's go! Okay. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> guys, everybody here? Somebody shouted out the best one. Doctor Strange is the greatest Marvel superhero, okay? Hey, give me a chance. I'm going to explain why, okay? Actually, I'm going to show you guys a clip. I'm going to show you a clip from Doctor Strange. It's like one minute, but it applies to what we're talking about tonight. Um, So just a little bit of context, Dr. Strange is an actual medical doctor, or at least at the beginning, and I'm talking um, just the first movie, right? He's he's a medical doctor. In fact, he's a world-renowned neurosurgeon, um, like one of the best, and because he's literally one of the best in the entire world, he is very arrogant. He's very arrogant. He's very prideful in his ability to just do so well with things kind of in this realm. Because of his pride, because of his tremendous knowledge in science, he's confident that the physical world is all there is. This reality is all there is. But then on an unfortunate night, uh, rainy night, he gets in a car accident and he ends up really messing up his hands. Okay, and as a surgeon, you obviously need your hands. He has to have all these surgeries. His hands won't work the same. And so that obviously sends him crashing into pretty deep depression. He's wondering, hey, is there any hope? Is there any chance of true being restored, true health, getting back to who I was? Um, and it sends him on this journey. And he meets a guy who kind of had a miraculous healing and he points him in a direction. So he goes on this long journey. I don't remember where all he goes, but he ends up in this place. He ends up kind of meeting this person who like has been told can help him or this is the person that kind of had the key to helping the other person with their miraculous healing. So he's, he's meeting this person. So that's kind of the scene we're going to watch real quick. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's Hollywood. They use some terms I don't necessarily agree. And well, we're going to circle back to that in a second. Noticed he didn't believe in the power of belief. Like, um, so before we kind of circle back to why I wanted to show that clip, I'm going to ask you guys a serious question, okay? Um, This week, I'm going to tell you, answer internally, but answer honestly, okay? Here's your question. How much are you worth? Okay, maybe it's better to say, what are you worth? I don't know, but you get the general gist. What are you worth? How much are you worth? Um, One of my old youth groups, I was a youth minister at this church, and part of our ministry was that we had a bus and we would go out and we would pick up kids. We'd go, go to some of the rougher areas in town. We'd pick up kids who wanted to come to church. We'd bring them back. Now, these kids were coming from homes where their parents weren't believers. They pretty much didn't know anything about God. 
Um, they really hadn't grown up in the church, but thankfully, part of this, this part of the ministry, right, right? Why we were bringing them in. So I used to drive that bus route constantly. Every Sunday and every Wednesday during my entire time at that church, I remember I would drive that bus route. And one day, obviously, several years in, I built great relationships with a lot of these kids. And I remember there was one day, there was a girl. Um, she was eighth or ninth grade. Uh, I'm going to call her Susan. Her name definitely wasn't Susan, but we'll call her Susan. Um, and just to give you a little bit of context on Susan's life, um, when she was little, uh, the local SWAT team busted into her apartment because her mom was dating a guy on the FBI's most wanted list. So um, yeah, really hard life, really rough upbringing. Um, I loved her. We have a great lover, still lover, still talk to her occasionally, got a great relationship. Um, but I just remember one day, I asked her, it was just in the context of our conversation, I remember how it all unfolded, but I was talking to her and I said, I said, hey, Susan, how much are you worth? How much are you worth? And, and she looked at me and she said, wow. She's like, no one's ever asked me that question before. And then without missing a beat, as serious as could be, I kid you not, guys, she was completely serious. She said, I don't know, maybe $500. $500. Her answer was seriously $500. I kid you not, she was being dead serious. She genuinely thought that her life, her existence, once again, only worth $500. And I remember like, when I asked the question, I was all excited because I'm like, this is gonna lead to a great conversation. And then like, I went blank. Like, I was in shock. Um, and quite honestly, I remember thinking, no one would ever give that amount, but I wish I could sit down with each one of you individually in a safe space. I'm genuinely curious to know what you guys would say your worth is. How much are you worth? So when I asked Susan, or that girl, that question, her answer was, what was it? $500, very good, you're listening. What is a dollar? What is a dollar? It's kind of a broad question, I get it. Okay, it's, it's a form of money, right? A dollar is a form of money. And money, what is money? Money is a form or system of value. Okay, now is money the only form or system of value? I was actually, well, before I go there, Throw some out. What are some systems of value that you guys think of? Any? Otherwise. Pesos. Pesos, okay. <laughs> what else? Time. Time. Very good. Okay. All right. So, guys, I was at a conference. I was at a conference um, not too long ago. One of the speakers said that in American culture, the primary forms of value have always been time and money. But then he, he went on to say, and I, I didn't fact check this, I haven't jumped in this ton, but I thought it was intriguing and I don't necessarily disagree. He went on to say that there's a lot of current research, there's a lot of current studies that reveal your generation, your generation has adopted a new primary currency or a new system of value. Any guesses on what? Attention. Very good, attention. Attention, according to what this guy was saying, is this new generation, their primary form of value is attention. And then he said, a lot, there's a lot of evil powers in the world, and guess what they've discovered? They've discovered that, hey, if we control their attention, money and time automatically follows. 
which once again, I would agree with. But beyond that, guys, I guess what I'm ultimately trying to get to is the world is going to offer you guys so many different ways of trying to assess or give, give yourself value, right? We've said it. We said money, time, um, attention, power, intellect, your appearance, right? How attractive am, am I? Pride, like immediate gratification. Like I think that's what something a lot of people pursue and that's rooted in pride and selfishness, right? The world offers us all kinds of different ways to try and convince ourselves we have value. And there's a good chance that we're currently, whether we're conscious of it or not, there's a good chance that you're gauging your worth based on one of these things or something similar. Um, and just so you know, well, I'm gonna skip that. Did you know that Jesus Christ also gave us a means by which we are meant to assess our worth or our value? And I think this is key in regards to what we talked about last week, which is why I'm gonna try to talk about it tonight. Um, does anyone know what it is? What did Jesus say is the most valuable thing about you? He gives it to us. He gives us this answer in the form of a rhetorical question, okay? In Matthew and the Gospels, but also in Mark. So I'm gonna read to you from Mark. And Jesus says... What do you benefit if you gain this entire world? What do you truly benefit if you become the richest, the best looking, the most likes on social media? What do you truly gain if you get the whole world, yet you lose your soul? You forfeit your soul. And then look what he says next. He says, is anything worth more than your soul? I don't think he's actually asking your opinion. Once again, this is rhetorical for a reason, right? The God of the universe created you, and I think he doesn't say, you get to tell me what gives you worth. He's saying, guess what? I want to tell you what gives you your worth. And he says, it is your soul. Because your soul is the supernatural, wonderful, part of you that cannot be measured, defined, or perfectly analyzed by any method of this broken world. And the reason it can't be defined and measured by the things we're used to trying is because, guys, your soul is created in the image of a good, perfect God who transcends and lives beyond this world. And maybe you've heard it before, but guys, do we believe it? I'm gonna to try to test our belief here tonight. And we're not used to this idea of soul, like of our soul. And I think a big reason why is because this, like we have been so trained, ingrained, and enslaved to thinking how the world tells us to think. But this is why I kind of love, I actually have a picture from the, the clip we just watched, okay? This is why I kind of love this clip because, first of all, this is a very, very weak and worldly way of me trying to give you guys a visual illustration. But I believe that essentially, this is what Jesus Christ does on a deeper level with us when we actually have an authentic relationship with him. Right? He comes along, and we're all like Dr. Strange. We are all extremely spiritually arrogant, 
And we, maybe we like aren't aware of our arrogance because we're so busy trying to establish the versions of ourselves that we want to play out in this world. And Jesus comes along and as we're trying to be the prettiest or make the most money or be the smartest, Jesus comes into our lives, hopefully, he grabs us and boom. He says, hey, guys, there's so much more to you. There's so much more to you. But Jesus is saying, only I know about it because I'm the one who created it. And so he's trying to get us to pursue him with all our soul. And I was hoping God would use last week as kind of one of those moments because last week I made a claim, I made a claim that I believe if anyone is truly saved by Jesus Christ and you can authentically present yourself before him right now in genuine faith, I believe that he, not you, not you, I believe he makes you perfect right then and right there. And I was hoping that'd be a moment where he's he's trying to wake up that part of you. Because if we're not careful, guys, guess what? Our faith becomes, well, yeah, I care about Jesus, but oh, by the way, like my academics are real, like I've gotta ace this test, I gotta be number one in my class, I gotta make this amount of, guys, the amount of students I hear talking about money, like money, because if that's what you're rooted to, maybe that's where you're finding your worth. But I think Jesus wants to come along and he says, hey, there's so much more to you. Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one sacrifice, Jesus made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I made that claim last week that I said, if, if, if your faith in Jesus Christ is authentic, just like that verse says, I believe he makes you perfect. But we don't live our perfection out to completion because we don't actually believe in it. Because the part of us that he makes completely pure is our soul. But someone might say, well, if God makes me perfect, then why isn't this happening? Why am I like this? Why, isn't, why is this happening? Why is that not happening? And we say, why is my life, if he makes me perfect, why isn't my life perfect? Well, guys, it's because we are so used to gauging our worth and the value of our life through impure and completely wrong methods. The problem isn't that God needs to prove perfection to us based on our standards. Guys, the problem is our standards of perfection will one day be proven to have been wrong from the get-go unless they eventually lead to Jesus because he is the standard of perfection. And once again, I believe your soul. I believe your soul. Jesus Christ in his grace and his power, solely to his glory. I believe he can make that part of you perfect right now. Once again, you're not gonna believe it. That's the problem. So that's the journey of becoming holy that that verse was talking about. Becoming holy isn't a journey to perfection. It's understanding why do I have such little faith in the perfection he already offers? And so once again, guys, the problem, I think, is that we don't believe. We're so busy trying to pursue false forms of fulfillment and perfection that this world offers us that we have no idea how to live from the perfection 
that's already ours. But just so you know, it comes from Jesus. And I'm asking you to test your faith in that. If you're, if you're not a Christian and you're in here, I don't want people leaving saying, oh, those weirdos down at CSF, they think they're perfect. No, 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 no. I do not think we're perfect. I think our God is perfect. And I think he's real. And I think he could show up right now. And he could say, I've got your back. Okay, so as you wrestle with this, my goal, I'm not trying to be all abstract. I'm not trying to turn your mind, like my wife is one of the most logical thinkers I know. And she like, when we talk this stuff, she's like, wait, wait. I'm like, I'm not telling you to not use your mind. I think your mind is important. It's from God. It's a part of your soul, I believe. I'm asking you to have a humble mind and just say, could there be more to me than I realize? Like, ultimately, this is encouraging. The hard part is you have to give up control. We don't like that. And even though we pursue money and all these things and it makes us miserable, we still like the control of it. All right? But your soul is where you get your value from God's standpoint. But how most of us don't know how to live from our soul. The perfection that Jesus can offer your soul right now, you're gonna be like, wait, what? No, tomorrow I gotta go to class. I gotta go to my job. I gotta like invest in those relationships because those things are gonna offer me fulfillment. We don't know how to invest in our soul. So what does it look like to forfeit the value systems of this world and truly believe that your soul is what matters most? I'm gonna close out with just a couple passages that I hope add clarity to this, okay? First one is in Romans 13, okay? Romans 13, um, I think it's 11 through 14. Um, or maybe I didn't include all of it. Yes, I did. This is all the more urgent. For you know how late it is. Time is running out, my friends. Wake up, for salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor, shining armor of right living. Because we, true Christians, belong to the day. We belong to God. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling or in jealousy. And just real quick, a couple things. I'm going to stop here. I wasn't a partier in college. I just wasn't. Um, and it was real easy when I was your age to look at the round at the ones that were partiers and I'd be like, Ugh. Um, I was so wrong because there, are, there were so many other sins that were applicable to me. And so it might be tempting to look around and say, well, I'm not like that, I'm not like that, I'm not like that. No, these sins cover all of us, right? So here's the thing. God is telling us to get rid of them. But this is where I believe a lot of Christians end up. And I think this is proof that we are still pursuing our worth through worldly things and then we're trying to sprinkle Jesus in afterwards, right? We're still trying to get that perfect career. We're still trying to look that way. We're still trying, and the, but the, oh, but we love Jesus. We'll add him in on top, okay? Now, I think evidence of that type of approach can be revealed in when you hear this verse, you hear these bad things that we're not supposed to be doing and guess what we try to do? We try to grit our teeth and in our willpower, we try to get them to stop. These bad things are happening in my life. I have to make these stop. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay sin. God wants to jumpstart your willpower, but it's not so you can control whether or not you stop these things. Look at the very next part of this verse. 
he says, look, like, get rid of all those things. But he doesn't say that's the goal is to get rid of them. He says, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he's trying to jumpstart your willpower, not to get you to just stop all these bad things. He's trying to get your willpower to seek the presence of Jesus Christ with all your soul. With all your soul. Now, once again, if those sins are in your life, I'm not trying to beat you up here. I th- the evidence of those things aren't to inspire you to stop doing them. I'm challenging you to think, if you're truly in the presence of God, if you were, would those things exist? They shouldn't. All right, so this isn't about just stopping bad things. It's about pursuing the presence of Christ with all our soul. And if your soul is truly immersed in the perfection of Christ, you won't want those things. You won't want those things. And so to live from the perfection of our souls, I think the evidence is a desire to constantly be clothed in the presence of Jesus Christ. So I ask you guys, do you constantly want to be clothed in the presence of Jesus Christ? Are you pursuing worldly forms of assessing your self-value? My hope is, if you are, you'll give those to God and you'll say, he'll give you one of those moments where he knocks the soul out of you and you're like, wow, there is more to me, but I can't know about this part of me unless you become my highest priority because your soul, that's the part of you that's meant to dwell in the perfect presence of God constantly. And so I'm gonna read one more passage, throw a couple things at you that kind of confirm this and then I'll pray, okay? And this is just to add to trying to give you guys some practical things as you pursue putting your soul in the presence of Jesus, okay? So first of all, if you want this, you should look at Jesus and be like, yep, your perfection, only you can satisfy. And if that's true, if you see Jesus for who he is, you want to model your life like him. So let's look at his life. This is one passage out of Luke um, Yeah, Luke 4. I'm gonna read this real quick. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing during all that time and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and reveal to him all the kingdoms in the world, of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will simply worship me. Jesus said, look, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. He said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you, won't even hurt, that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Report, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly, and in the synagogues, he was praised by everyone. <sighs> 
Does your soul truly want to be clothed in Jesus Christ? Something interesting about this passage, the Holy Spirit's referenced twice. At the very beginning when, it leads, when he leads Jesus into the wilderness, and if you notice in verse 14, he leads Jesus into an earthly ministry. Verse 14 is basically where Jesus starts interacting with people, and he starts his ministry with people. When it says that the Holy Spirit took him into the wilderness, it says full of the Holy Spirit. Later, it says he goes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are two separate words. And the one for the first, when he leads him full of the Holy Spirit, guys, there's something supernatural about that word. It literally means to completely cover and immerse, all right? And so a lot of times wilderness has a negative connotation. We're like, oh, he went to the wilderness? Oh, that's bad. He needs to get by the people. He needs to get to like where we're used to things working. No, but the wilderness was good because first of all, the Holy Spirit, it says it was with him. Not only that, but the word used there means the Holy Spirit was completely enveloping him. So in the wilderness, Jesus was at his strength. He was completely in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. So if you wanna clothe yourselves in the presence of Christ, do you make time for him? Do you make time for him? Because most of us, if this was our life, we would jump to verse 14 and we say, all right, God, I need you because I'm starting my life amongst everyone else today, right? Like once again, we're trying to get that job. We're trying to make that money. We're trying to, and so we need Jesus to bless us in that regards. But a soul that is truly pursuing his perfection, I think it wants to get alone with Jesus. And then as you are alone with Jesus more and more, he gives you confidence in your identity. I don't know if you noticed, but Satan, when he tempted Jesus, I heard this pointed out and I thought this was a great point. When Satan comes at Jesus, or at least two of the times, he says, if you are the son of God, his approach was to make him question his identity. And guys, Satan is dominating a lot of us in that realm, getting us to question our identity. But if your soul is truly where your value's at, guys, your confidence you should be putting yourself in the presence of God and of our, of our holy God and he starts giving you confidence in your true identity, which isn't being the richest, it isn't being the smartest, the most athletic, it's not all those. Your identity becomes a child of God. And that sounds right and it sounds churchy and cliche, but a lot of us aren't doing the work to prove we actually believe it. Clothe yourselves in the presence of Christ Make sure you're giving him time, right? He should be giving you confidence in your um, identity in him. Last thing is this, guys. You should have a humility before and a desire for scripture, okay? Um, I don't know if you noticed, but Satan, Satan used scripture with God, Guys, knowing scripture does not mean you're clothing yourself in Christ. And there's gotta be a humility there. So I think if you're clothing yourself in Christ, you will have a desire for scripture, but a simultaneous humility that says, Jesus, this is about you and knowing you more, not taking things from you because I believe there's authority there and using it to build up me. All right, a love for scripture, but a humility that understands whew, I could take God's words very wrong if I'm not careful. Because ultimately, what makes God's word have any power? It's the fact that Jesus is the one who said it.
God's word should lead us to him. And so, I don't know, guys. I hope this made sense. I just think, if it doesn't, come talk to me, please. Um, One of, I truly believe that one of the biggest temptations is for us to attach our worth to things we see. And I think God is sitting there and he's saying, oh, there's so much more to you. But we get so used to controlling the version of ourselves and through pursuing worldly things. And I just hope we have that moment where Jesus sends his Holy Spirit. He knocks our souls upside the head and he says, this is what truly makes you valuable. And I can make it perfect, but it's gonna be about me, not you. Because this is truly about Christ and him making our souls perfect and living in his presence. So I'm gonna ask the worship band to come up. If you guys wanna come up now. I heard Katie's point, Katie. I can't, I can't pray while you're coming up. If they wanna pray with us. They don't wanna transition during this time. All right, so let's pray. Jesus, if I said anything that is not true, Forgive me and let people not hear it. But God, help us take your word, take you at your word. Please help us value our souls. I live in a world, God, I'm so guilty of this. It is so easy to look at fame and prestige and success and just want those things, but if we're not careful, almost unconsciously, God, we attach our worth to those things and they will drag us down. So Jesus, I think you want us to know that there's so much more to us and that's a good thing, that should be an encouraging thing, I think it's an empowering thing. But the part that we struggle with, we need your help, God, is in our pride, I think to truly know who we are, who, the, who our souls are at the core, it takes a humility to realize we have to put ourselves in your presence. And so God, I just pray for surrender. I pray for true faith in you. I pray for more souls when they hear about you or when people talk about you or when they read scripture. I pray your Holy Spirit opens their eyes to the fact that you are truly real and that you are perfect and good and we can know you but you can tell when people are trying to use you, keep you at an arm's distance, still pursue things under their control and just add you in. You can tell that, Lord, I pray. um, Help more more souls truly call out to you. And um, yeah, Holy Spirit, whatever in this was true, help it make sense to us, help it humble us. But at the end of the day, may Jesus be glorified. May the world know who God truly is. And uh, Jesus, in your name, amen.